Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. No matter your reason, switch to AT&T prepaid and get two free ZTE Maven 3 smartphones and two lines on AT&T's reliable network. Limited time offer available at participating AT&T stores. Two for $75 per month requires two new lines of service on the $45 monthly plan each under a multi-line account. Account owner on auto pay. Reliable network claim for third-party sources, fees, coverage, and other restrictions apply. Details at att.com slash prepaid. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Your car has lots of lights. You've got headlights, interior lights, the light that comes on when you open your glove box. But there's one light that's the pest of the bunch, your check engine light. And at AutoZone, we have the tools to help you troubleshoot the real problem for free. Whether it's something serious or something simple like a loose gas cap, you'll get a MyZone health report to help save you money and hassle down the road. So if your check engine light comes on, come on over to AutoZone and let's get you what you need. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Experience banking the way it should be at the First National Bank of Long Island, the bank where everyone knows your name, with branches throughout Long Island, Manhattan, Brooklyn, and Queens. Member FDIC. New York's fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM, and Sports Radio 66, WFAN. All right, real quick, let's head to East Rockaway. Mike joins us. Mike, you're on the fan. How you doing? All right, JJ. Good show as usual, man. I appreciate that, Mikey. Thank you. Always. You know what? I know you're closing in the end of the show. Dirty Birds of Filthy Delphia. I hope they win. Never won one before, but they are the craziest fans in the world, no doubt about it. Um, and I was laughing when they were talking about the safety. That's what I said the other day. 28-25, Filthy Delphia over the Dynasty Juggernaut Patriots. I do love, Mike. I love everybody trying to tie the score to your grid boxes. I do appreciate that. I got an Eagle fan in the building. What is the lucky jersey for you, Dave Yerum? Brian Dawkins. All right. right. Brian Dawkins jersey. How apropos. The guy's going into the Hall of Fame. Exactly. Dave, do you like your Eagles to win their first championship? I'm predicting a 24-17 score. And the drought will end. The Philadelphia Eagles will win Super Bowl 52. Oh, there you go. And the Crisco will be all over the light posts. And the cheesesteaks will be fine. And Broad Street will be a mess. Good luck to you, my friend. Thank you. Good luck. Fun show. Thanks to James Alberino live in studio. Thanks to RJ Bell. Aya, outstanding work on the other side. You guys, outstanding with your calls. Back, same time, same place. Manana. Till then, JJ After Dark signing off. Be good, everybody. Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Sports Radio 66, The Fan, WFAN, New York. Tom Brady leads the New England Patriots. Brady turns, play action, has all day, throwing back of the end zone, leaping up, Amendola pulls it in, touchdown! And Nick
Foles quarterbacks the Philadelphia Eagles. Long marching spiral down the far side. Over the shoulder catch of the pylon. It's a touchdown. It's Super Bowl 52, and we've got all the play-by-play -play with Kevin Harlan and Boomer Esiason at 6.30 today with our pregame coverage underway at 3 p.m. exclusively on your flagship station for the NFL, along with Boomer and Geo, morning 6 to 10, Benigo and Roberts, middays 10 to 2, and the afternoon drive with Carlin, Maggie, and Bart from 2 p.m. to 6.30. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66 WFAN and WFAN-FM New York. WFAN 2020 Sports. Good morning at 6 o'clock. I'm Dave Uran. This report is sponsored by Spot Hero. Around 10 o'clock, we'll know the winner of Super Bowl 52 tonight. Either the Patriots or Eagles. Tom Brady going for his sixth Lombardi Trophy one night after winning his third MVP. We've had a good year. I think the Eagles have had another great year. I think it's two of the best teams in the league playing, and we've been in a lot of these close games. It's going to be a tough test, and uh, hopefully we can play our best game of the year. That's what it's going to take. Brady will be facing a tough Philadelphia defense featuring defensive tackle Fletcher Cox. That unit will need to make the 40-year-old quarterback miserable, just like the Giants did in Super Bowls 42 and 46. We always want it in our hands as far as defensive line. We always be the one the ones. We want to be the ones that, you know, you know, get TFLs, get strip sacks, get sacks, you know, however we can get it. Eagles will be looking for their first Super Bowl title. Rams, Sean McVay, Coach of the Year, Texans, J.J. Watt, Walter Payton, Man of the Year, and New Giants head coach Pat Shermer, Assistant Coach of the Year for his work as the Vikings Offensive Coordinator. 2018 Pro Football Hall of Fame class, Ray Lewis, Brian Urlacher, and Randy Moss getting in on their first year of eligibility. Man, I started this game at six years old and never imagined that I'd be here, you know, putting on a Hall of Fame jacket. So now that this time has, has come, I'm retired. Now I can put this jacket on. It's just a blessing from up above. Two wide receivers will be going in this year. Terrell Owens finally getting the nod on his third chance. Rounding out the class, Brian Dawkins, Jerry Kramer, Robert Brazil, and Bobby Bethard. On the other side, more misery for the Rangers. Better nights for the Devils and Islanders. And finally... Here's a way you can save time parking. Use Spot Hero anytime you park. First time users can enter promo code CITY for $10 off. Spot Hero, park smarter. Fan 2020 Sports Time 602. The big game is upon us, and we all know winning football teams are made of a group of skilled professionals. If you're looking to get engaged this season, go see the winning team at 2 by London. They are the trained professionals and have all the cutting-edge technology right there at 2 by London to help you pick or design the absolute perfect ring. 2 by London has a very large selection, all with great deals within everyone's budget. So just stop in and mention WFAN. So whether you're starting out or starting over, let 2 by London help you out. Visit 2 by London today at the Americana Manhasset, East Hampton, and now at the Westfield World Trade Center. London Jewelers, serving you and your family family since 1926. Boomer Esiason and Phil Sims explain business banking. Go Java Thrasher left. Yellow, yellow. Waggle, waggle. Blue 98, double Arnold. 98 Arnold. I wouldn't have called that. That's why I called the waggle, waggle. Let the experts at Investors Bank break down your banking. Work with a team that speaks your language and delivers custom banking and lending solutions to move your business forward. You know, Boomer, you always have trouble with a waggle, waggle. Must be your accent. <laughs> if you're not doing business with Investors Bank, you should be. Investors Bank. Banking in your best interest. Member FDIC Equal Housing Lender. Just Works. The all-in-one payroll benefits and HR solution helping entrepreneurs rest easier. Fan 2020 Sports Time 603. Not only did the Rangers lose 5-2 with the Predators, they were beaten up. Nashville bouncing Mark Stahl and Jimmy Vesey in the second period with head injuries on unpenalized hits. Head coach Elaine Vigneault kind of mum on these situations postgame. It's very hard to figure certain things out uh, from game to game, so 
I'm just going to leave it at that. Otherwise, I think I'd get myself in trouble. Courtesy of MSG, the Devils jumped the Penguins in the standings. They beat them 3-1 at the Rock. Travis Dajak, two goals, one assist. Islanders, a big 4-3 Metro Division victory over the Blue Jackets at Barclays Center. Yara Halak, 46 saves. Well, we need every point uh, right now. Uh, we are at, uh, uh, looking uh, outside uh, uh, to the, uh, in, and um, we just need every point. That courtesy of MSG Plus. This afternoon, the Knicks welcome in the Hawks while the Nets entertain the Bucks, and you can hear that. That at 11.50 this morning right here on The Fan. College basketball, St. John surprising number four Duke at the Garden, 81-77. Rutgers losing to number three Purdue, 78-76. Syracuse falling to number two Virginia, 59-44. UConn was beaten by number eight Cincinnati, 65-57. Tickets on sale now. Ticketmaster in the Prudential Center box office for the fourth annual Mikey Strong Charity Hockey Game Friday night, March 2nd at the Prudential Center featuring Boomer, Geo, Jerry Recco, and many NHL alumni. Proceeds go to the Nichols Family Trust and the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation to assist the paralysis community. Up to 5,000 registered ticket holders will receive a voucher to a 2018 April regular season Yankees home game and all will receive two tickets for a 2018 Devils home game. Certain restrictions apply. 33 and cloudy in Central Park and that's what's happening. I'm Dave Uram with 2020 Sports on WFAN. Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, your flagship station for Super Bowl 52 tonight at 630 with pregame coverage at 3 p.m. WFAN, WFAN FM, New York. You know, I think, why wait till 3 p.m.? Let's start the pregame coverage right now. Hey, come on, let's get on with it. Super Bowl 52. Can we get to the game already? Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Bob Salter. Welcome to our program. It's Super Bowl Sunday. And yes, we got a treat for you. I alluded to this last week. We start our full show run. Yeah, we'll be on from 6 until 8 this morning. We have lively guests joining us both hours of our program today. In hour one, a very interesting discussion um, that surrounds one of the designations that's attributed to this month of uh, February. And that is talking about this idea of heart health. Um, Dr. Rachel Bond is joining us on our program. Dr. Bond is an African-American cardiologist at uh, Northwell Health. Um, she is joining us uh, by phone on our program. We'll be talking about this idea of uh, heart health in the month of uh, February because that is one of the designations of February is as Heart Health Month. We'll talk about exactly what that means, too. And um, a little bit later in the hour, if you have some thoughts or questions along the lines of some of the things that we are raising, you can uh, join us in our discussion on uh, that topic. First of all, Dr. Bond, good morning. Welcome to our program. Good morning. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you today, so bright and early, especially on Super Bowl Sunday. Well, thank you. I'm glad to have you uh, join us. You know, you talk about this idea of um, heart health. And I, you know, mentioned the fact February is Heart Health Month. What does that really mean? I mean, what what does that designation really mean? So Heart Health Month is honestly one of my favorite months as a cardiologist, and it's the time of year where we try to wear red all throughout all throughout the month to 
increase awareness of heart disease. It's also a great time for the community to commit to a healthy lifestyle, make small changes that can lead to a lifetime of heart health. Because again, as you mentioned, heart disease is a leading cause of death for both men and women out there. And my goal, which is a lot of cardiologists' goal and the goal of the heart health um, movement is to really show you that 80% of the time, heart disease could be preventable. 80% of the time, you say it could be 80% of the time. Then why is it that we don't have a better handle on this? So we don't have a better handle on it. And and what I would like to say is we've come a long way since we sort of noticed and looked at the statistics. When we really look far back in like the 1970s before we had uh, therapeutic options, such as procedures to open up blocked arteries or even medications, there was definitely a higher rate of death from heart disease in both men and women. And then starting in about the 1980s or so, we were seeing a steady decline in men. And a lot of that had to do with the advances, as I mentioned, and the procedures and the medications. And it really wasn't until the 2000s or so when women eventually started to get that decline, because unfortunately, we were noticing that a lot of the advances were going towards the men but unequivocally, but in women, they were not getting them. And it really wasn't until the year 2000 when we started to see that. And a lot of that had to do with the American Heart Association's Go Red for Women campaign. And now what we're noticing is that we really have the lowest number of deaths from heart disease at the last statistics that we've looked at, which has been 2014, 2015. What I do want to stress, though, however, is that we're seeing an, an upwards trend meaning that although it's the lowest number of deaths we've seen throughout all all decades, it's now going in the wrong direction. And myself as a preventive cardiologist really wants to focus in and hone in and, and, well, why are we seeing an increase? And what we're noticing is it's our young population. So we as doctors are doing a really, really good job at getting our older population above the age of 65 to the doctor's office, making sure that they get their preventive medicine, their preventive care. But we maybe are not doing as good a job in getting the young out there. And I really want to emphasize that there's a stigma out there when you think about heart disease, that it can only affect you if you're elderly, but it's not the case based on these statistics. Okay. There's a lot of different things that you've mentioned. There's a lot of notes I had in preparation for our discussion today. One of the things that I wanted to touch upon was this idea of exactly what is meant when we use this term heart disease, because it's it's a broad term. It covers a lot of different things, doesn't it? It does. So the medical term that uh, encompasses heart disease is really cardiovascular disease. And what that implies is you have plaque buildup in one area of the body that has an artery. So if the plaque is built up in the arteries of your heart, it's called coronary artery disease, another term, heart disease. If you have arteries built up in the neck or the brain, it could lead to a stroke, for example. If you have arteries built up in the arteries in your leg or plaque built up in the arteries in your leg, it could lead to something called peripheral vascular disease. So plaque, which is a fatty deposit, can go really any, could go to any artery in our entire body. And it's that that encompasses the term cardiovascular disease. Mm. Now, to go back to something you mentioned a moment or two ago, you know, this perception that, you know, you say things related to heart disease and automatically this has to be somebody who is um, old, Let's be Mm -hmm. bluntly honest about it. 
why why do we have that perception? And then the other aspect of it is, how do we get away from that? So I think we have that perception because even when you think about it in the media, when there's somebody on television, someone in the movies who's having a heart attack, the majority of the time it's an elderly person and it's also a man. And I think that the stigma remains the same, even though we know that women are dying just as much from heart disease as men, that it's thought to be a disease of a man, the disease of an older man. And I think the way to sort of go about it is by, one, having advocacy, what you're doing with your radio show today, allowing me to come on, really explain that that stigma needs to go away. Because we're seeing that who's dying more now from heart disease, the young particularly the young African-American women um, and the young African-American men, when you look at it. And that stigma, hopefully, is something that will translate also into the media as well. Um, I think that may take a little bit of time, but the fact of the matter is, is that heart disease doesn't discriminate. It's an equal opportunity killer. It's an equal opportunity condition. And we just need to be aware of that. Okay. What can we point to as reasons why there seems to be such an increased incidence of heart disease affecting African-American men and women, especially young ones? So the major thing with respect to the African-Americans is, you know, I think, unfortunately, I don't have a single answer for that. But the fact of the matter is, is that risk factors disproportionately affect these races compared to their white counterparts. And when you look at it, for example, an African-American woman has at the age of 20 years old or greater, a 50% likelihood of cardiovascular disease. And that's, that's astounding. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they have higher rates of high blood pressure. Now, is this genetic or is there something else to it? Through research, we know for sure, in order to prevent heart disease, it's crucial that you treat risk factors successfully. And the only way to do that is to make sure you have access to health care. Um, we know that depending on certain areas that you may, be li- you may be living in, that access may not be as available, or also you may not, depending on what community you're coming from, have access to even local farmers markets or grocery stores to allow you to have a healthy eating option. The other thing is, is when we look at the data, we know that in order for you to, again, get that screening, you need to go to the doctor. And in, what we notice is in the African-American community, they may see illness and disease as really the main reason to go to the health doctor. So you don't go to the physician for preventive medicine. You go when you're sick. And with heart disease, once you're sick, once you have the symptoms like chest pain, shortness of breath, swelling, or dizziness, the fact of the matter is you probably manifested heart disease a decade or even two before. So I think the biggest thing is to really speak to the community and say, make sure you have a good relationship with your healthcare professional. Make sure you go to the doctor at least once a year to get your numbers checked. That way we know what your risk for heart disease is. And when those numbers are being looked at, what's, what are the kind of key numbers that you and your colleagues look at? So the numbers are really allowing us to see what your risk factors are. And they encompass the traditional risk factors that you think about. And these risk factors, by all means, are very, very manageable, either through education or lifestyle choices, and in in certain cases, medication. And I really want to stress that it's these risk factors that make heart disease 80% preventable. So what do they entail? 
if you are overweight or obese, if you have elevated cholesterol, if you have elevated blood pressure, if you have elevated sugar, we also on that office visit are going to ask you about your exercise. If you, if you have a sedentary lifestyle where you're physically inactive, we know that puts you at a higher risk for heart disease. If you're a smoker, if you have an excessive amount of alcohol intake, there are other traditional risk factors that we honestly have no control over that we also focus on. So knowing one, an example, your family history is very, very important. And I encourage everybody today before the Super Bowl to ask, them, ask, ask each other, well, did I have a heart attack? Did anyone in my family have a heart attack? And it's really the first degree relative, um, meaning your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, or your children. Also, other things we focus on, of course, are our age, our gender, and our race. But it's those traditional risk factors, primarily when you go to the doctor, that they're going to be looking at to say, okay, which risk factors do you have and what is going to put you at a higher risk of having a heart condition? Hmm. Very interesting discussion that we're having with Dr. Rachel Bond on our program on FAN this morning. There's a lot of areas to go in uh, this discussion. We've just uh, begun our chat as I mentioned, she is a cardiologist at Northwell Health. We'll talk more with her as we continue on our program this Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We're in discussion with Dr. Rachel Bond on our program. Dr. Bond is a cardiologist at Northwell Health. Uh, she has joined us on our program for our 6 o'clock hour. I'm talking about this idea of heart health and uh, heart disease in the month of February. One of the designations is as Heart Health Month, and um, that's our area of focus. There's lots of areas to go in discussion, and what I'd like to do as well is to work in some thoughts from some of the folks who are listening to us this morning. WFAN's toll-free line, 877-337-6666. It is brought to you by Mohegan Sun. Unlimited possibilities await you at Mohegan Sun. Plan your stay at mohegansun.com. Now, Dr. Bond, I'll tell you what, let's start with a question on the phone here. We're going to Rob and Lake Success. Rob, good morning. Welcome to good the morning. fan. Good morning. Uh, I, I have a question for the doctor. We talk about exercise in the heart now. My history is I started running in college. I was before college, in high school, but I was a college distance runner. I competed in many Boston marathons. I still run it every year. Uh, I was a 230 marathon runner, a very high active athlete. I remember back in the day in the 70s, with Jim Fix when he passed on, uh, and he was the guru with, uh, and, and obviously Dr. Cooper out of, uh, out of uh, uh, he was in Texas, uh, came up with the whole exercise and aerobics and stuff like that. Here's my question, doctor. When is too much enough? I'm going to the city actually right now to run a race. I run six days a week, still training for the Boston Marathon right now. Uh, very active. I still can run a 315 marathon, but the scary thing is, at 57 years old, you hear people dropping dead out there. Um, is it too much, and when does it get to a point? And we're not talking about jogging. We're talking about doing intervals on the track, getting the heart rate up to about 180 at my age. I know the old theory is 220 minus your age is your max mm -hmm. heart rate. What, when does it get to a point, doctor, when you see runners and athletes, and I'm not talking about joggers, which is always good. I'm at a different level. I'm at a point where I'm maxing out, putting my heart under extreme stress, and is it, am I potentially doing damage to myself uh, where I can from Jim Fix? Or he did have heart disease. I remember the story. His father passed away, and he, he lived a few extra years, he, but he died in his 40s. I'd like to hear your thoughts on exercise in men and women in their 50s, as well as 
when is too much enough? Thank you, Bob, always for the time on the on the show. Thank you. Absolutely. So this this is a actually a very important topic. I do have a lot of people coming to my office asking this same very good question. Now, what's important is to really realize what are your risk factors. You mentioned that he had a risk factor of a father or family history of heart disease. So with that, regardless of if he was a runner or not, that puts him at a higher risk for heart disease. What I really emphasize with my runners I don't want you to stop running because we know there's so many benefits of exercising, even vigorous exercise like marathon running with respect to the heart function, with respect to the flow of blood throughout the, throughout the body. But what I would suggest is that you do see your primary doctor where they'll do an extensive physical, especially before each and every marathon that you're going to run. They'll check your blood pressure. They'll check your heart rate. They'll check even um, your cholesterol, your blood sugar to make sure you're in A-OK shape before doing something like a marathon that absolutely can put a strain on your heart. But we know that there are benefits in exercise, and I would encourage you to continue exercising. There's some data out there that marathon runners in particular, the only heart condition that you have a higher risk of getting is something called atrial fibrillation, which is an irregular rhythm of the heart. Again, this is something that would, is very easy to manage, and also something that would be a, very easy to capture if you saw your doctor regularly. Okay, hopefully, Rob, that answers some, some of the questions that you were raising. Certainly, uh, travel well. Thank you for your patience on the phone and your uh, call this morning. You want to join us in our discussions, 877-337-6666. That's our number here at the fan. This whole idea of genetics, and, you know, you raised an interesting idea before we paused for our update and, and uh, messages. This idea of, on Super Bowl Sunday, raising this question about, you know, heart health, basically, mm-hmm. uh, with, mm-hmm. with love, loved ones. You know, and as you were saying that, I thought, for some people, this is going to seem like, oh, wait a minute, that's one of the last things I want to bring up. But, but why? Why not? You, you, you're trying to do something in a preventive fashion. Why mm-hmm. not have the discussion? I, I completely agree. I think this dis- discussion really should be anytime at the dinner table, for example. The fact of the matter is, is we don't talk about health as much as we really should. And if we realize the fact that we can prevent heart disease 80% of the time, the sooner we know our family history, oh, mom had a heart, uh, mom's sister had a heart attack at a certain age, or oh, mom has high blood pressure, mom has high cholesterol. I didn't know that. Now you know you're at a much higher risk of having that yourself, and it may it really encourage you to go to the doctor and get your numbers checked. I really can't stress enough the importance of knowing your numbers. And, and by knowing your numbers, you really are advocating for yourself to reduce your chances of having a heart condition. When we talk on WFAN, some people have the perception that we're talking just to men. Mm-hmm. First of all, I know that's not the case. Uh, secondly, even if that's largely the case, what advice can you give male listeners that they can take and use with their partners, significant others, um, to spread this message about heart health for women today? 
Absolutely. So it's it's important for men to know about their risk factors as well for all the reasons I mentioned earlier that heart disease really can affect both sexes. However, we know that heart disease is, in fact, the number one killer of women. And I'll just throw statistics out there because it, it t- tends to resonate more with our, our, our community. So it's more, it's, it's, it's more deadly than all forms of cancer combined, basically taking 44 million women's lives per year. And how do we really translate, in, how, how do we translate this? So when you think about breast cancer, for example, where we think that's the greatest risk for women out there, that kills about one in 31 women per year. Heart disease kills one in three. So you're, so really resonate that because what does that translate into? That translates into the fact that one female dies every 80 seconds from heart disease. So this is something that we really need to take aware, be aware of. And why is it, why is that? And again, the importance is, is that we've had advances significantly with respect to research and treatment. And although we've come a very long way with women's health, again, having a very low amount or the lowest that we've seen in decades in the number of deaths from heart disease in women, we know that even to this day, with all of our advocacy, women are still treated less often. They're underdiagnosed, maybe because they have more subtler symptoms, which we could talk about, or they're also less likely to be enrolled in our clinical research trials. And, and the fact of the matter is, is women out there don't prioritize their health. They care for everyone else, their parents, their husbands, their children, even their pets before themselves. So it's really imperative for the men in the world, men out there to say, I want to make sure my wife is okay. I want to make sure my mother's okay. I want to make sure my daughter's okay. Because I now know that this is their number one threat. And when you're starting that discussion today on this topic, how do you get everybody in the household involved? So, again, it doesn't just seem like this is something that I'm going to use this term the old people are talking about. Of course. And I, I think the way to get it is really to have that discussion when you're surrounded by your family, maybe at the dinner table. You can say, um, you know, we know that February is Heart Health Month. And because it's Heart Health Month, we really want to advocate and sort of make sure that we are a preventive family. So I want, I want to tell you about my family history. I want to tell you about my medical conditions. I want to also encourage us to maybe exercise together or walk around the block together or sort of maintain a heart-healthy lifestyle. Just because you haven't had an ideal health, you haven't had ideal health behaviors doesn't imply you can't make these changes, okay? Once you make these changes, you're putting yourself at a much lower risk of having a heart condition in the, in the near future or even the far future. Back to the phones we go, 877-337-6666 is our number here at WFAN. Let's go to Al in Connecticut. Al, good morning. Welcome to The Fan. Thank you. Good morning to both of you. Uh, quick question Quick question for the doctor. Or doctor. Uh, a couple of years ago, I uh, started getting uh, stress tests, and then I went for like four years without getting one. So this past April last year, I went for a stress test. And at the end of the uh, stress test, I guess it showed uh, uh, a heart, um, what do you call it? it? It jumped or whatever. I skipped a beat or whatever it was. So my doctor pulled me aside in the office. He asked me if I was dizzy. I said, no. And he said, uh, all right, well, I'm going to start you on Metro, Metro Prolol or something like that. And I want you to see a heart specialist just to have you checked out. 
Mm-hmm. And he goes, meanwhile, I want you to go for a uh, heart or uh, an ultrasound. So I went for the ultrasound in half half an hour in that tube or whatever. That came back normal. Went to see the specialist with the results. He told me that everything came back normal and uh, he did an EKG there. That was normal. And he basically told me that, uh, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. Stay on the Metro Pro Wall. And I'm kind of like, all right, well, if everything came back normal, why do I have to stay on the Metro Pro Wall? And he goes, well, see me in six months and we'll do another uh, stress test and EKG. If that checks out, we'll gradually weed you off the Metro Pro Wall. So six months later, I went back and did a stress test. Stress test came back normal, no no skipping beats or anything like that. And EKG turned out good. Uh, ultrasound, again, came back good. They still have me on the Metroprolol. And I keep asking them, like, well, if, you know, why am I on the Metroprolol if everything's coming back normal? And, and why, like, did my first uh, stress test show skipping beats? They really have no kind of answer except he's like, well, you know what? It could have been viral. We really don't have an answer for you. But, you know, just keep doing what you're doing and stay on the Metroprolol. So that's like my question to you is, if everything's coming back normal, why do I have to take this medicine? So I, one, the, the important thing is, is that this is a great conversation. And I really encourage that if you don't feel comfortable with just taking yes for an answer, meaning having the doctor say you have to take this medication, it's always important to question your physician and ask them really why. Um, I don't know your particular case. I could only imagine that that extra beat possibly was something called a premature ventricular contraction or a PVC, if that sounds familiar. And uh, those are normally, we're able to control them with metoprolol, which is a medication that slows the heart rate down and kind of decreases any adrenaline that may be causing these extra beats to happen. Now, it's not uncommon for you to have these extra beats, particularly during exercise. I would have to have looked at your stress test to know how frequent these extra beats were, and I could only imagine they were pretty frequent in order for the doctor to feel strongly about putting you on such medication. But I think what I would encourage you to do is really ask your doctor the same questions you're asking me, because they'll have the ability to really look at everything um, and say, well, if this looks okay and that looks okay, is there any danger in maybe taking you or slowly taking you off that medication so you don't have to be on this medication for the rest of your life? Right. And that was my question because it's like, I mean, I, I do take blood pressure medicine and, you know, and with my acid reflux taking that medicine and I'm only 45 and I'm like, at this point, you know, at Metropro, I'm like, you know, how many medicines, you know, like, I don't want to have to take any more medicines than I necessarily have to. And I, and I did ask. And, so and I do actually, ask. Uh, so, so just not to cut you up, but Metoprolol can also help with blood pressure as well. So that also could be a suggestion to say, do I necessarily need so many medications for my blood pressure? Would it be beneficial for me to just keep the Metoprolol on board and possibly be able to take off one of the other medications for my blood pressure so I'm not on so many medications? That, that's a great point. I appreciate that. Thank you, doctor. All right. Thank of you, course. Alex. Thank you for your patience and your call this morning. We've got a number of people on hold. You want to stay there. We will get to you. We're in discussion with Dr. Rachel Bond on our program. Uh, she is a cardiologist at uh, Northwell Health, and she's talking with us about this whole idea of uh, heart health. The month of February, one of the designations is as Heart Health Month, and um, we'll take some of your calls. 
get into some more areas of discussion as we continue our chat with her this Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. I love those guys. I'll be there tomorrow morning. And make sure you are, too. We are in discussion with Dr. Rachel Bond on our program. Dr. Bond is a cardiologist at Northwell Health, and she's talking with us about this idea of heart health. The month of February, one of the designations is as Heart Health Month. And what we've tried to do is to work in some of the thoughts from folks listening to us as well. 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. Uh, Marilyn has been holding forever in Brooklyn. Thanks for holding on so long. Welcome to The Fan, Marilyn. Marilyn, good morning. Marilyn, once. Marilyn, twice. Marilyn, three times. I guess Marilyn is not there. Okay. All right. Uh, she had been there. Perhaps she had to uh, move away from the phone. If you get got disconnected, certainly call back and uh, join us. Um, interesting questions from folks listening uh, to our discussion, and usually when we get into discussions with somebody who's in the medical profession, we get questions from folks about um, medications. Um, so I was not mm -hmm. surprised that you got some of the questions that you did. But to go back to the very first caller, um, Rob had brought up something that I think is an interesting area to bring up on WFAN on a Sunday morning, especially Super Bowl Sunday morning. And that's this idea of the weekend athletes, especially. And do they have to be, should they be especially concerned about their heart health? So anybody that does a vigorous sports, particularly um, professional sports, for example, they need to have at least once a year an evaluation by a cardiologist where they have an EKG, which is where we put stickers on the, on the chest wall to look at the electrical activity of the heart and a stress test just to make sure that there are no changes that we see that they don't break out into an abnormal rhythm, for example. Now, as I mentioned to the reader earlier, the major thing that we as cardiologists have seen a relationship with, with marathon runners are, yes, they have low rates of, high, of cholesterol. They have low rates of blood pressure. They have low rates of their heart rate, which are all good for the heart. But what, what do we notice is that their chamber, the upper chamber in their heart tends to, with time, get a little bit larger. And that could put them at a higher risk for an irregular rhythm called atrial fibrillation. So that's really their most prominent risk. And that's something, again, that's very treatable and something that's very easy to diagnose. And I encourage all of my patients that do marathons or run excessively to go to the doctor, make sure that an EKG is performed. And if there's any question or abnormality, go to a specialist like myself, a cardiologist, just to make sure that they're A-OK -okay before proceeding with the marathon. Interesting. Very interesting. All right. Let's go back to the phone. Um... Matter of fact, I think we've connected, reconnected here with mm -hmm. Marilyn. Marilyn, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you. What's your What's your question? And turn, can you turn down your radio in the background because that's going to be good for distracting. I was calling. I I had a very difficult first pregnancy. Um, and I ended up with a heart murmur. I don't know if it, I would. I was asking her if it is a possibility it will get worse. Also, just one more question. Also, um, I seem to, whenever I eat, I get really sick. I have to lie down immediately. I can't walk around after eating. I can't change gears. Um, I feel the stress that I just had. So 
um, I'm, I feel that I'm also like, I keep clearing my throat. There's no sort of blockage in my throat. And it comes on just after I feel sick. If there's something wrong, it, it, could you please explain that to me? Thank you. Okay. I, I, did you catch all of that, Dr. Bond? I, sound... I did not. I'm okay. so sorry. All right, all right. Marilyn, because it sounds like your phone is cutting in and out. Can you say that again? And the other thing is perhaps just hold the, hold the phone closer to your mouth, actually, as you're speaking. Okay, is it better? Yes, that's that's a lot better. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was asking. I had a very first, very difficult first um, pregnancy, and I ended up with a heart murmur. Could it get worse? And the second question is, um, I seem to not be able to eat and walk, or maybe it's like I take a light meal. It seems that I I feel really sick, extremely sick, and I have to lie down. But after I've eaten a meal, um. And I seem to have a blockage, and I clear my throat. It's, it's, there, there seems to be like a, you know the congestion in my throat. Whenever I clear it, it tells on my heart if there's, there's something wrong with that. Just can you please explain that to me, please? Okay, so you mentioned that uh, with your first pregnancy, you were told you have a murmur, correct? Yes, I do. Yeah. Okay, so uh, what is a murmur? A murmur is an extra heart sound, and sometimes that implies that there may be an issue with your valve, which opens and closes and allows the blood to flow very nicely. It's yeah. not uncommon during pregnancy for uh, our patients to have murmurs. They're called innocent murmurs. We worry when that murmur may get louder or if it doesn't go away with pregnancy. So. Typically, what we would suggest is that you have a sonogram, which is an echocardiogram or ultrasound of your heart to make sure that there's no issues with your valves in your heart. Now, you you also had mentioned, and I think it's a, it's an important factor because pregnancy in of itself, depending on what conditions you have during pregnancy, can put you at a higher risk for heart disease. And when we think about conditions during pregnancy for women that could put you at a higher risk, we think about elevated blood pressure or elevated blood sugar during pregnancy, or even if you had a preterm delivery during pregnancy, all of these conditions can put you at a higher risk. Now, to answer your second question, you, you mentioning that you, you just don't feel well when you walk, correct? You said you no, when I eat, when I eat. If when I you eat, eat, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I feel really sick. I have to lie down. I cannot walk around after I've eaten any meal, either a light meal or a heavy meal. Um, I have to lie down. It's just really exasperating. I cannot walk around at all after I've eaten anything. Okay, so, okay. Then I feel that my ears are blockage somehow, and I, I clear my throat a lot. It's a blockage, and it's I clear my throat and I feel a little pain under my in my chest area. So ah, here. understood. Sure. Understood. So, so this raises also the fact that women can have very atypical or non-classic symptoms. So, when we think about symptoms for a heart attack or a heart condition, we think about always a severe pain in our chest, right in the center of our chest, where you may feel like an elephant sitting on it. But more times than not, women can have more subtle chest pain. They may not even feel chest pain. They may feel nauseous. They may feel dizzy. They may feel tired or really short of breath. So what I would suggest is you should go to the doctor. You need to have the doctor do a complete physical, take a really extensive history and do an EKG, which is the electrocardiogram to look at the electricity in your heart to make sure that there are no changes. Hopefully it won't be secondary to a heart condition. And again, a lot of your symptoms are so atypical that it could be something else, but we don't know until we do further workup to make sure it's not coming from your heart. Okay, thank you so much, doctor. 
Thank you no so problem. much. Thank you. Thank you for your call, your patience on the phone, and also for calling back. Uh, also on the phone this morning at 877-337-6666 is Frank in Rockland County. Frank, thanks for calling. Thanks for holding on. Welcome to the fan. Oh, thank you very much. Um, my question is, I one evening I wasn't feeling well. I went to the emergency room with chest pains. Uh, they gave me an EKG, and they gave me all these other uh, x-rays, this and that. And everything checked out all right. Um, I also have a skin disease. I have psoriasis. Mm-hmm. So I showed the doctor where it was on my ankles. So he he prescribed me prednisone. Mm-hmm. So I took the prednisone for, I think it was a seven-day prescri- prescription. And... I took it and it cleared up everything, but I went to my primary care physician about a week and week or so after, and he was mad that they gave me prednisone. So I was worried about my, of course, I was worried about my, you know, my heart and everything else, and my chest pains and everything else like that. So what I was asking was the prednisone that they gave me now actually made the psoriasis a hundred times worse Mm -hmm. but now i'm going now i'm going to uh a dermatologist who makes you go for laser treatment twice a week and it's it just doesn't feel like it's working but they put me on uh when i went for my physical i was 326 pounds and last week i was 289 but he put me on metformin, which I'm not a fan of. But my my sugar level was 6.4 when I went to my primary care, and now it's normal. Mm-hmm. Do I stay on the metformin, and what do I do for the psoriasis? Or I'm very confused. My primary care wants me to stay on the metformin, but not do the uh, the laser treatment. Okay, so to answer your first question, so psoriasis. Psoriasis is actually a very important disease or risk factor uh, for heart disease in actuality. And why is that? Because there's a a significant amount of inflammation, and we think about the treatment options out there for psoriasis. As you mentioned, the emergency room gave you prednisone. We know that prednisone, particularly taken for long durations, can further increase your risk of heart, a heart condition, primarily because the effects it has on the blood sugar. That being said, having a one-week one week course of the prednisone really shouldn't have much of an effect. But I encourage you to follow up with the dermatologist, and that's why it's important to see specialists in the field. If you're questioning the treatment management of your psoriasis, that's your field of expertise, and the dermatologist should be able to work with you to figure out what's the best options for you. You mentioned the fact that your doctor put you on metformin, and we as physicians, especially primary care physicians, are inclined to put you on metformin, particularly if we're noticing that you're overweight and you're in that borderline diabetes, right? So you mentioned your A1C. What is your A1C? It's a blood test that really tells us in a three-month period what your blood sugar is. And if your hemoglobin A1C is greater than or equal to 6.5, you by definition have diabetes. 
So you were 0.1 away from being defined as diabetic. We also know that metformin can help with weight loss. As you mentioned, you lost a significant amount of weight. I don't know if that also was secondary to changes in lifestyle, such as diet and exercise, but uh, staying on the metformin and how long should we stay on the metformin is really a question that you're going to have as you move along with your with your healthcare professional. And at this point in time, if your blood sugar is not no longer in that borderline or pre-diabetic range and you lost the weight, I think the metformin has helped you substantially because we know even borderline elevated blood, blood sugar or even um, or being overweight can put you at a higher risk for having a heart condition in the future. Right. I, I actually, you know, I, I joined, I, I work out every day. I, Good. I, I, I did everything he told me to do. And like, like I said, I was at 326 and now I'm at 289. You know, That's amazing. Yeah. And, and he, he actually gave me a high five because it was during, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving. <laughs> but I just didn't know. I, I've heard so many negative things about metformin that, I heard I heard bad things about it, and it's not good for you, and this and that. And so, whenever you're on a medication, we always have to weigh the risks versus the benefits. Every form of medication out there has a risk, and I think that it's a pertinent, definitely a pertinent conversation to have with your physician because of the fact. Well, you're exercising now; you change your lifestyle. Maybe we can talk about weaning you off of the metformin because initially his concern may have been. You wouldn't be able to do that, right? And now that you're showing, no, I'm going to the gym, I changed my diet, he may feel more inclined to take you off the, of the metformin the next office visit that you see him. And I think that that's a fair conversation to bring up. I, I agree. But the only thing that's not getting better is the psoriasis. It's, 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 it's gotten worse. And and for that, again, I really would see your dermatologist and a specialist, particularly in the field. There are dermatologists out there who do specialize in certain skin conditions, um, and maybe your primary doctors could, could lead you in the proper direction of who to reach out to, um, because that's definitely something that a dermatologist should be able to help my, you with. My, uh, Frank, the medication that... Frank, we get, we we got to go here. Unfortunately, the clocks are enemy. Um, I do appreciate right. your call. Uh, right. thank, thank you very much. It's been helpful thank with some you. of the answers uh, to your questions thank this morning. Certainly, good luck continued with your uh, condition uh, conditions as well. Um, and I appreciate the um, calls from folks who've joined us. Unfortunately, we can't get to any more calls in this time. Before we wrap up here, uh, Dr. Bond, and we've got about a minute left. This month of February... Heart Health Month. It's also Black History Month. Um, how do you mentor young African American men and women who want to get into your field? Well, I I knew I wanted to be a physician since honestly kindergarten, maybe even before that. So much so that I dedicated my education to medicine, and directly from high school, I went to the esteemed Sophie Davis School of Biomedical Education, which is in Harlem. And really the premise of that school is to help increase the number of minorities and females in healthcare. So what I tend to do is I continue to have ties with Sophie Davis by offering mentorship. I allow students to rotate with me. So they're able to see really what the face of a real cardiologist looks like. I also teach and offer my time to the medical school I'm affiliated with at Northwell, which is Hofstra. Mm -hmm. And most recently, I increase my social media presence, and through wonderful groups, I've been able to meet up with young physicians or even um, 
young undergrads who are interested in the medical field. That's excellent. Certainly good luck continued with your work. Thank you very much for joining us. Interesting discussion. Uh, Dr. Rachel Bond, a cardiologist at Northwell Health, joining us on our program on the fan this Sunday morning. WFAN, WFAN-FM, New York. Ay, 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 I think my head is going to explode here. Wow. You know, first of all, I was out of the studio, actually out of the station, during part of Dave's update. It's not unusual. I travel around here. And I come back in just in time to hear Minko... Minko on the year, thinking, wait a minute, would we turn back time here? Minko here on a Sunday morning? No, no, no. It's just an excerpt. And then Dave mentions snow. Snow. We don't want to hear that word. I know it's February. I know it's still possible. We don't want to hear that word if possible. And we don't want to hear anything saying snow accumulating. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Of course, um, the game on the fan later in the day today, all the pregame festivities getting underway officially at uh, 3 this afternoon. But there's lots of talk about the Super Bowl on the fan today. Football Sunday program along at after our 9 o'clock update. Of course, the focus will be on that uh, then, as well as uh, some talk about this Hall of Fame inductees, the um, new cast going in there. Lots of opinions being shared on um, that group that is uh, going in. Certainly a talented uh, group of people um, heading into the Hall of Fame. And of course, after our 8 o'clock update, it is Rick Wolf who's along with the Sports Edge program. We move into an interesting area of discussion in um, the 7 o'clock hour of our program because I'm pleased to say that um, a guest is joining us who I had the pleasure of speaking with uh, briefly uh, yesterday in um, preparing for this chat today. And it's an appropriate one as we move into this month of February with one of the designations of the month being Black History Month. And there's lots of different ways of looking at that acknowledgement for the month of uh, February. Joining us on our program is an individual who I think you're going to find is well-versed, certainly is lively, and uh, is going to share some interesting ideas with us in our discussion. Joining us on our program now is uh, Lupita Samuels. Um, she is Joining us by phone on our program, um, most interesting background as an author, as an educator. First of all, it's nice to have you join us. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Oh, whoa, I told you, she's going to be lively. Happy all right. Happy Sunday. Hey. All right. Yes, okay. Everybody's up and at them now. Good now. morning, New York City. <laughs> Good morning, world. I love it when a guest is good and lively. 
Well, there are many different areas where we can go in discussion. When I mention in your background about you being an author, we'll get into talking about the book series and also a little bit about your uh, latest book that has uh, just come out, uh, too. But I also mentioned about you having done some work in the area of education. That always is an area that's interested me because of my background, my work in the field. What attracted you to that field? Bob, when I was a kid, I loved my teachers. <laughs> so when I grew up, I just wanted to be like them. I was inspired by teachers like you. What a setup that was, huh? Okay, no. <laughs> well, that's good. And the experience, what did you actually do in education? Well, I thought I, I taught bilingual special education. Most of my kids were very bright kids, um, talented children, but many of them were dyslexic mm -hmm. or maybe dysgraphic, which means have difficulty Get the right, getting the writing through the hands of the paper. Maybe this colic, maybe had difficulty in mathematics. So I had to learn techniques to help my students learn, and they did. Techniques like what? Well, for example, um, Orton Gilliam method, method of approach, integrating different um, reading techniques to help them learn how to read. Um, I would combine language experience with, with, with phon phonetic, the, the phonetic approach to help them um, get the sounds that was difficult for them. And um, have them do things with their hands, like sounding out the letters and writing them in salt or in sand. I did a lot of crazy things, what my kids learned. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know... As you're saying that, I'm thinking the most important thing that you were doing is, yes, you're imparting all sorts of things uh, to them, but more than anything else, you're doing things that get them involved. It's the interactive approach. It's not just you going on and on and on and on talking exactly. to them, and they just sit they're supposed to just sit silently with their hands folded or sit with a notebook and jot down every word you've said. Instead, they actually put this to work. Exactly. They see I that they can work. Account, Bob, right. learning styles, different yeah. learning styles. Exactly. You know? And the other thing is you also learn in the oh, process. Yes. They were my greatest teacher. Mm -hmm. And how did you get into writing? And well, Bob, I, um, I always wanted to make a difference in this world. And um, from a child, I became cognizant of a problem, which is colorism. And when I talk about colorism, not only across cultures, across nations, but even among people of the same race, even in the same family, you know, you hear remarks like, hmm, this one is too dark or it's too black or, you know. And 
these, these, these things were said by people of the same race. I was like, excuse me? You know, I remember once, Bob, I was a kid, and two black women had a fight. They had a verbal fight because their sons got into a fight. Mm-hmm. One lady looked at the other lady and said, look at your son. He's so black, like a Dutch pot. So they said, but your son is black, too. She said, yes, but he ain't so black as yours. So, and th- these are black women talking. This is not a white person dissing a, a black person. These were women of color. Okay? So there's a color hierarchy, even in the black community, there's a color hierarchy. Um, if you're, let's say coffee, yeah, okay? There is light coffee. The hierarchy is light coffee is better than dark coffee. And dark coffee is better than black coffee. The sort of hierarchy, color hierarchy that I call it. And I think it's need to be erased. And my books are hoping to do that. This idea that skin color is um, attributable to somebody's self-worth basically how did we how did we even get involved in that i think it came way back from slavery time when the um the lighter skinned blacks were allowed certain privileges mm-hmm. because a lot of times they were the master's child so they had, they were mixed blood, so they had a lighter complexion, and they were not treated many times with the same cruelty and menial jobs as the, um, the darker slaves. So then people start to look and say, oh, so it's better if I'm lighter. Oh, that's a better thing. So then you get the whole line of, Products developing of ways to quote unquote lighten one's skin. Um, the people who want to look lighter, or in some cases, they'll even say look more white. Um, exactly, Bob. You're onto it. Listen, and what's and what's really what's I don't know if it's funny or what, but even in Africa, I was just seeing a video in Channel Four how in South Africa the bleaching, the bleaching business is a multi-dollar operation in different parts of Africa. Okay? And even in India, these beautiful brown people in India, the bleaching business is like, boom, because people are not happy. They don't. They haven't learned to love thyself, love thy neighbors, love thy skin color, love thy neighbors. They just because of the social pressures, people are doing these things. And not only that, Bob, they're harming their bodies because, as I learned, Doctor Oz, any product that you cannot ingest orally, okay, because it would poison your system. Mm-hmm. It's also dangerous to apply to your skin because your skin has pores. 
So you're 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 poisoning your body latently. You're killing yourself slowly. Definitely something to think about, but you know, unfortunately, um, people sometimes get set in their ways, and mm-hmm. um, they think that they're doing the right thing or they're doing something that's going to advance them on an individual basis. And in some cases, advance them on a career basis, and uh, it's very hard to convince them of well, anything otherwise. Mm-hmm. Well, there's social rewards to it because I was reading something in a newspaper from England where some women of color said that the lighter they were, the better their chances of snagging a husband. Because even the darkest skinned men went for, would fall for the lighter-skinned women. Okay. So there were increases their, their chances of marriageability, if there's such a word. <laughs> All right, hold that thought. There's so many different areas where we can go mm-hmm. based on that and on some of the other things that we've just kind of highlighted here, and we're just beginning this discussion with Lupita Samuels on our program on the fan this Sunday morning. It's the Sports Edge program with Rick Wolf. that's long after our 8 o'clock update on the fan. After our 9 o'clock update, it's football Sunday that happens. Of course, do some focus on the Super Bowl and also look at those uh, new folks heading into the Hall of Fame in uh, Canton, Ohio. And that will certainly be part of the discussion this morning. That fabulous program that's long after 9. We are in the discussion on our program this hour with Lupita Samuels. Interesting uh, background that she brings to our discussion. You want to join us? You can at uh, 877-337-6666. That's our number here at The Fan. Now, one of the thoughts I had heading into our discussion today, bases on this idea of something that you mentioned earlier. You're talking about this whole concept of colorism. And you and I were talking a little bit last night in preparation for the talk today about what was your motivation with the colorblind book series, and what exactly does that mean? Um, colorblind, I noticed that humans, most of us, we love animals, and in this country we love dogs, we love pets, and most people, Bob, are colorblind when it comes to pets. Mm-hmm. They don't. They, if a child want a, wants a puppy, it doesn't matter if it's a black child or a white child or a white woman. They don't care if they get a nice little puppy. The puppy could be brown, it could be black, it could be tan, it could be caramel. They don't care. They just love that dog. They're colorblind to animals. We accept them and we love them just the way God made them. So. My idea is, well, if we can do that for animals, for pets, why can't we transfer that same ability to love and accept colorblindly the animals? Why can't we transfer that to human beings, to our own species, Bob? Why can't we do that? I think it's a very good question, and um, it's one that I'd love to pose to the folks who are listening to us uh, this morning because... I don't know why it is we can't. It seems like such a simple I think process. we can. All we need to do is a paradigm shift. Because this thing is a learned behavior. Bob, 
my beautiful young white kids between, um, let's say, 18 to 35, you know what they're doing now? The tanning business is also a growing industry in the United States. Mm-hmm. They are submitted, subjecting themselves to these tanning salons, these artificial lights, and sometimes in excess, which can also cause melanoma down the line, causes skin cancer. Right. It's a danger. So it seems like colorism is something that, that affecting humanity in general, white, black, all kinds of people. And, you know, you get this, as we've had discussions, it's actually one of the more popular areas of discussion that we have on this program, usually on an annual basis. And traditionally, we do this, uh, we've done this pretty much around Memorial Day weekend, where we have a a guest on talking about this idea of um, skin cancer. Yes. And he will say, you know, he speaks basically, he's certainly not in favor of the uh, tanning beds and people who will go there uh, to them. Talks about this idea of people trying to go and achieve this dark look. And, you know, you have to stop and think to yourself, realistically, what's behind this? And why are people willing to subject themselves to something that they are told is dangerous? To be loved and accepted. To feel loved and accepted. To feel beautiful. To feel socially acceptable. People go through, I mean, they'll they'll just do about anything for social acceptation. That's That's how needy we are. That's how the pressure of society is, is affecting, impacting us, these pressures to look a certain way, have a certain complexion, certain type of hair. Mm-hmm. I have a book about hair as well. Hair mythology. And, and that book is, that's your new book. That's my new book. All right, we'll talk about that in, in just a little bit. Um, yeah. When you talk about this kind of pressure to feel accepted, to be accepted. What all is fueling that? Media. Magazines. Media. You know. People who have felt in the past rejected socially are slighted because of their complexion. And they just want to fit in. People want to fit in. Everybody wants to be loved and accepted, Bob. And sometimes we look for means that are not very healthy for us. You know, the price is too high to pay, but, you know, we try. And we want to, if we can get people to to realize that we're just part of the animal kingdom, and just the way they're animals of different colors, black horse, black man, White cat, white woman. It's, it's, you know, that's all it is. It's not an enigma. We're of different colors, just as the animals are. Just as the dogs, the cats, the horses, the birds. Same thing, the human species. Same thing. Hmm. 
and my books use a lot of illustrations and comparisons to bring that home. All right. Tell you what we'll do. Let's open the phones up here and see exactly where we go in, in this discussion, too. This idea of color that you've expressed, um, some of the things you've shared with us thus far in our discussion here on The Fan. Let's see what listeners have to say. WFAN's toll-free line, 877-337-6666. It's brought to you by Mohegan Sun. Unlimited possibilities await you at Mohegan Sun. Plan your stay at mohegansun.com. Let's go first to Donald in Stratford, Connecticut. Donald, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Good morning. It's a, good morning. It's a pleasure. Um, I wanted to address the question you asked about how we as a society, why we can't get over. And she did um, definitely agree with my sentiment in that the media and the corporations who run the country, especially since uh, the Citizens United decision came down, who profit more from a divided people than a united society. The more divided we are, the more upset and depressed we are, the more likely we are to purchase goods that we might not need, right? Like bleaching our skin, you know, for an example. Uh, and also, I want to say that the verbiage that we use is very important. Even I don't even like using the terms black or white or even the word race because we are all one race, the human race. And to say that someone is a different skin tone is a different race is not only inaccurate, it's just fostering division, which, you know, is not good. So that's just what I wanted to say. All right, Lupita, would you like to respond to Donald? Um, yes, I, um, I agree with that. And as a matter of fact, in the book number four, which talks about um, things folks are not to, we brought up that concept about being belonging to one race, the human race. So I concur with him on that point. Thank right. Donald, thank you very much for your call this morning and your patience thank on you, the Bob. phone, too. 877-337-6666 is our phone number. You want to join in the uh, discussion here and uh, talk about some of the things that we have raised thus far in our chat. Rick Wolf has the Sports Edge along after our 8 o'clock update on FAN this Sunday morning. You know, you mentioned the fact that you have this book that looks at this topic of ear. Why here? Well, that's another issue, Bob, that causes, um, like the men was just saying a while ago, causes division and causes some people to have low self-esteem because society has taught us that if your hair is not a certain texture, then mm, you're inferior. You're, you're, not, you're, you're not with it. And so we, we especially people who have coily hair, or, or, or very curly hair, always feel the pressure to straighten it out. So you can, you know, flash your hair and your head, and it's not reality because biodiversity says that if you look at the animals, you know, back in the days, the Indians called people of color, uh, the men, buffalo riders, because of the hair. They compared their hair to the buffalo hair, and mm -hmm. it's very similar. 
again, the hair diversity is pretty much in human as it is in animals. Because again, we're part of the animal kingdom. So everybody's not going to have straight hair or long hair because all the animals do not. If you look at a, a toy poodle, his hair is different from, let's say, um, what you call this dog, um, uh, a, 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 a Japanese um, sutsi. Mm-hmm. Different hair textures on the animal, even in dogs. Mm-hmm. Same thing with people. No big deal. Now, I'm not against grooming your hair or, you know, some people say I straighten it to make it uh, more, um, what do you call it, more manageable. I'm not against it, but I just want people to know that they're not inferior because of their hair. Now, if they choose to straighten, to, to braid, whatever they want to do, that's, that's preferential, right? But I just want them to know you're fine the way God made you. There's nothing wrong with your hair. It's not bad hair. Because the whole thing in the society, especially in among people of color, about, oh, he has good hair, he has bad hair. Why is it, why is it bad? It's just biodiversity. Now, I want to ask you a question I've been thinking the entire time that we've been talking. And some people listening may think the same way or wonder this in this month, there's a lot of focus. We're hearing an awful lot phrased about the term Black History Month. Mm-hmm. I'd like to get, first of all, your reaction to that term. And then secondly, the natural question is, is it really necessary? Well... I think it's black history is necessary, Bob. You know why? Because of our past history. And our history is different from most other people in this country. The history of abuse, cruelty, um, discrimination. You couldn't go to a hotel for your honeymoon because you were black. Um, Sachma would play the, the blow, the, the trumpet, but he could not get a room in that same hotel because of his color. You, you couldn't drink at the water fountain. You, you couldn't go to the same school. And if you went to school, it was inferior. And, and I think that history had left wounds in our souls. And I think we're learning to overcome. And I think flatness is a way to kind of say, you know something? Some bad things did happen. We are responsible. We know they happen. We want to move on, but we must recognize that these things are part of our history. Okay. Know what I'm saying, Bob? I do understand what you're mm-hmm. saying, and I want to follow on that point because there's a couple of things that I think are natural uh, questions based on what you've just said. Um, We're talking with Lupita Samuels on our program on FAN, and um, talk more with her. You want to join us in our discussion, 877-337-6666. Rick Wolf has the Sports Edge after our 8 o'clock update. 
Football Sundays along after our 9 o'clock update this morning. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. What am I doing on? Hey, yes, our show runs until 8 o'clock this morning. We're back running until 8. Oh, baby, yes. All right. After our 8 o'clock update, it is Rick Wolf, who's along with the Sports Edge program. And the Football Sunday show is long after our 9 o'clock update on The Fan. We are in a discussion with Lupita Samuels on our program this morning. And she is talking with us about a number of different things. She's the author of the uh, Colorblind uh, series. She's also been an educator in the New York City public school system for over 20 years. And she's brought some ideas to the table that I think are interesting. And I'm interested in getting some feedback from some of the folks listening to us. 877-337-6666 is our phone number here at The Fan. Talk much, Bob? No, just for a living. That's it. Let me put my teeth put my teeth back in. Okay. All right. Let's uh, go back to the phone here. Uh, let's go to Perez in uh, Freeport, who's been holding for a while. Perez, whoops. Perez, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Good morning to you, and thank you for taking my call. Certainly. What I would like to talk about is Black History Month. I work in public education. And uh, I've been in public education 11 years. And every February, we have this Black History Month celebration. And I notice within the students and the people I work with, they seem to really have no interest in Black History Month. I ask them all the time about this and that, this and that, regarding figures in Black history, and they don't seem to care. Okay, and I wonder often... Is it really necessary to have Black History Month? That it's probably better to talk about these figures in American history because black people are Americans and this is American history. Then maybe we should do a better job of teaching American history, the entire American history, the good, the bad, the ugly, instead of having a separate month dedicated to the subject because it appears people really don't have any interest in it. That's my question. Lupita? Yes. Um, Bob, well, you know, I think we need, need to also look at content because one of the things that I do when I taught um, in Black History Month, not only I, I also incorporate the wide contributors that helped. For example, the Underground Railroad, so many white people made it possible. When, when, when slaves ran away, there were many white people who hid black people on their farms, in their, in their attics, in, their, in wells, in front of their yards. Um, the Underground Railroad, for example, was possible because of, of the contribution of many white people who were anti-slavery and abolitionists. I was talking yesterday with my son about um, this man named Blackwell. He was also an abolitionist and suffered greatly for it because when he took his kids to be registered in, in public school, they were rejected. His kids were not allowed to attend public schools because he was considered a nigger lover. And this white family had to educate their kids in the house, their whole home school. As a matter of fact, one of his daughters was Elizabeth Blackwell, who became the first woman doctor in America, because years ago women were not allowed to be doctors. And she was homeschooled, but her dad suffered, her family suffered a lot because 
they were against slavery. They were against the atrocities of, of, that was the, the cruelties. So we, when we give black history, we need to give it in a balanced way that it not only addresses the negative, but also the, the contributions of good white people who helped a lot of black people run away. When slave masters and, and the dogs were coming out for them, they'll say, did you see um, uh, this, 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 black, this nigger man go this way? And these white people would lie and say, no, uh, yes, I saw him, but they went this way. So they'll give them the wrong direction, and they'll go after them so they could escape. So a lot of white people are part of black history in my book. Yes, I have one more uh, question to ask her, very brief question. Hello? Yes, I'm here. Yes, uh, since you say that they should teach about whites who were abolitionists and the contributions they made to ending slavery, would it, be fair, would it be fair to say that you should also talk about blacks who were also slave owners and slave masters? Oh, yes, absolutely. A lot of blacks absolutely. are in denial that there were hundreds of blacks who owned thousands of blacks, and they were as equally cruel as white slave masters. Yes, Should that yes. also be taught? We need, yes, of course. So we need to upgrade this curriculum. We need to present a balanced curriculum and include all the stuff that you talked about, too. I totally agree with you. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for your call this morning. Thank you. Your patience on the phone there, Perez. Interesting perspective and also interesting to hear from somebody who's um, in the education field. Uh, which I had a feeling that might strike a chord um, based on some of the things that you've said in our discussion. When you talk with young people about this idea of colorism, what surprises you most about what they say? Well, Bob, I think I'd like to go back to a test that was done in the, ninth, in the um, early 1900s. It was a social experiment done by a man named Clark where he presented two dolls to children, a black doll and a white doll. And he'd ask the kids, which doll is the pretty doll? And, and this, both the white kids and the black kids would, would choose the white doll. Which doll is the ugly doll? Guess which one it was? The black one. Which doll is a smart doll? Guess which one they'll pick? Even the, even the black children thought that the white dolls were prettier, were superior, were smarter, was a good doll. And the white kids thought the same. So imagine growing up with that, sublimin that sublimin subliminal thought that you're less than. And then the white kids grew up thinking that they're okay because they, point, they pointed every time to the white doll as the smart one, the good one. And that test has been repeated throughout the years. And even today, Bob, about 50% of the children still believe that the lighter doll is the better one, the smart one, the good one. And my books incorporate the dog test, which I present dogs of different colors and ask the kids, well, pretend these dogs are people. Which dog is a cute dog? Which dog is a, you know, I do the same question in, in the book because we want to eradicate that color hierarchy thing. We need to eradicate it, Bob. Mm -hmm. And if we can do that, 
we'll have a better society. People will be happier and we'll get along better because we will learn to accept each other as part of the great biodiversity on planet Earth. All right, back to the phone we go. 877-337-6666 is our phone number here at The Fan. We go next to Eric in New Haven. Eric, good morning. Welcome Hello. to The Fan. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I just, um, I just have an opinion to express about what has been taught in black history. I'm black myself. Um, I think that there should be more emphasis on the positive people that have come out in the past. For example, Paul Cuffey in the 1700s, who was a mariner, who became one of the wealthiest men uh, in Massachusetts, who was black. Um, his father was a slave. I just think that there's so much emphasis on the victimization of us as black people in teaching our history that our young ones feel like they can't succeed. I just wish more light was shown on our positive role models that have succeeded despite. Uh, like, the, for example, how many people know about the Harlem Hellfighters? And what they did in World War One. Uh, see, these things are not taught, and I think it debilitates our, you know, what we expect of ourselves. That's just my opinion. That's an interesting idea, and uh, some very good examples that you shared with us too. I'm going to let Lupita again, respond. Again, again, we need, like I said earlier, we need a balanced curriculum, and to integrate all of these things because yes, it's not it's not good only to emphasize the negative, and we don't want. Also, um, our children growing up to think that all white folks are bad or vice versa. We want to, to really, um, you know, be objective, so objectivity. And, and I think we need to incorporate, uh, we need to come up, upgrade our curriculum, indeed. Yeah. Eric, thank okay. you for your call this morning, too. Okay, thank you. Uh, you want to join us um, in the home stretch of our discussion with Lupita Samuels? 877-337-6666 is our phone number here at the fan. I guess this leads us perfectly into this area because you just mentioned something that, you know, with this idea of colorism and a discussion like the one that we're having, you don't want to turn the discussion into one that then becomes a situation where it's promoting white guilt. Exactly. That's not what this is all about. No. And that's why I mentioned um, the white abolitionists, the Quakers that wrote to Congress to have slavery abolished, and all the people, the white people who helped on the Underground on the Railroad. And I did not been for those white people, people would not be able to escape from slavery to freedom. It was white folks. That was a major part of the Underground Railroad. And a lot of people forget that. That's why I say we have to present a balanced curriculum. Well, to go with this idea of a balanced curriculum, something that's inclusive, something that looks more at the overall historical picture, the total history. I mean, wouldn't this involve a revolution in the way in which history is taught? A social and academic revolution, yes. 
Indeed, Bob. Is that even possible? Yes, it is. I mean, all the great things I've done in this world, you know, we've gone to space, we have, you know, we have, we have, we have invented computers, we have, you know, why not? I guess the reason I asked that question is because I think of education and think of it from the institutional standpoint and think of that might be the area where the resistance comes strongest because it's a resistance to change. Yeah. But, you know, it's always resistance, but we have to keep pushing forward because years ago, they didn't even offer black studies in, 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 um, in universities. And now we have some. We have some, some courses in black studies. I took a, I took a, a study in, um, I took a course in Caribbean, um, in black history, and one in Caribbean studies. So they're, 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 they're gradually incorporating new courses, and we just have to keep doing that and upgrading them. As the gentleman said before, to, into a more integ integrated curriculum, socially, and presenting a balanced view. Because, you know, w w the, the goal should be to achieve social equity, not to blame or to, 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 to promote hate. No, we want to promote love and, and acceptance and equality. That should be the goal. Okay, this idea of social equity. Let me ask the question I assume some are thinking. Is that even possible? It is. We treat all our animals equally, regardless of their race, whether it's a chihuahua or a bulldog or a, or, or, um, or a doberman or a toy poodle. We treat all our animals with, with, with equity. Why can't we do it for humans? We need to transfer those skills to the human race. Those same ability we have to love animals of all different races and colors, we can transfer that skill to ourselves and apply it. We can. But it needs to be taught. It needs to be, we need to become more aware and we need to teach these things. That's why I write these books, because if these books, if people would work with their, do um, co-read with their children and go through these questions in these books, I think we can change, we can shift paradigms. And we can begin one mind at a time to change things. One mind at a time. That's exactly how change starts. Lupita Samuels, our guest in this hour of our program on The Fan this Sunday morning. I want to thank you very much for joining us uh, and sharing the information you have, sharing some of the information from the Colorblind series and also from this uh, new book on Mahir. Uh, Hermitology. Hermitology. Well, thank you very much for joining us on our program. Bob, Certainly good luck. Bob, thank you for having me. It was a delight to be on the show. And God bless you and happy Super Bowl Day. Yes, it's a Super Bowl Day, as a matter of fact. Football Sunday program, we'll be looking at that, looking at the new folks heading to the Hall of Fame. That's after 9 this morning. Rick Wolf is in the building. He's been doing jumping jacks, getting himself in order, overworking with the rosin bag in the on-deck circle. He's in with the Sports Edge after our top-of-the-hour update.
We will see you next Sunday morning. And trust me, it's a show you don't want to miss next Sunday. You're on The Fan. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.